Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Podcast, and thank you for listening. I'm Rick Newman, and today I'm here with stock market historian Sam Stovall, chief investment strategist at CFRA, to talk about where the stock market is likely to go for the rest of 2017. A lot of investors think the U.S. stock market is overvalued, which suggests a correction and maybe a big one is coming. Well, not so fast. Sam Stovall, chief investment strategist at CFRA, is here to explain why that view may be wrong. Sam, thank you for joining us. We Happy to be here, talk Rick. to you about the stock market all the time. Sure. So you know uh, what every, uh, so many analysts are saying about the stock market. It's overvalued by historical standards. Uh, it's been we're in the ninth year of a bull market. This has to end sometime soon. It keeps not ending. We're up something like nine percent for the year uh, on the S and P 500. Um, but a lot of people are worried, and they think it's time to get out of the U.S. stock market, even if you sort of gradually back out. So tell us if you agree with that, and if not, why not? Well, I agree that this bull market is old. It's nine years, as you just said, which is the second longest bull market since World War II, second only to the bull market that ended unceremoniously on March 24th of 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, but bull markets don't die of old age. They die of fright. And what they're most afraid of is recession. What causes them to be vulnerable to recession is valuations, as you just mentioned. Um, so, yes, if you're looking at a P.E. ratio, the price to earnings on a backwards looking, a trailing P.E. Yep. basis, a projected P.E. basis, whether you look at what's called gap earnings, which like Prego spaghetti sauce has everything <laughs> in it yeah. uh, or operating results, what some people call earnings before bad stuff. They're expensive on an absolute basis, no matter which way you look. But if you remember the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, the reason the Nazis were digging in the wrong spot is because they only had one half of the equation. Okay, so uh, what's the other half? The other half is inflation. Right now, we are tr uh, the most recent year-on-year -year change in core CPI was 1.7%. Very low inflation. Very low. Actually, it's the lowest quintile, the lowest 20% of all inflationary periods since World War II. Okay. And the reason that the bull market died in 1981 at a P.E that was around seven is because inflation was at 14. Today, it's 14%. the other 14 percent. So today we're basically in uh, flip mode where if inflation is at 1.7 percent, we can afford a much higher P.E. ratio. And in fact, going back to 1948, whenever we were in that lowest quintile, lowest 20 percent of inflation, the P.E. ratio was... 23, which is exactly where it is today. Huh. So uh, c c be a little more specific about that relationship you're drawing there uh, between inflation and price to earnings ratio. Uh, and then we can talk about what that might tell us for uh, the direction of the stock market in the future. But just spell that out a little. Uh, well, a little what it really detail. means is that um, it, analysts look at a uh, discounted cash flow, meaning if I'm going to be getting earnings or dividends going forward, what is that future stream worth today? Well, it depends. Depends on what your discounting interest rate is. The higher the discount rate, the lower that it's actually worth because inflation could be eating it away over time. Right. 
Whereas if the interest rate is low, then that means, ooh, that pot of gold is actually bigger than what I thought And interest thought it rates would be. are a reflection of inflation to a large Exactly, yeah. exactly. That uh, actually there is a spread between uh, core inflation and the Fed funds rate, and the Fed funds is usually a point and a half above inflation. So if inflation is at 2%, then Fed funds should be at 3.5%. That is not the case now, right? Exactly. That's why that's the Fed is trying to make uh, interest rates as stimulative as possible to try to stoke this economic engine so that we don't sputter and fall into a recession. Um, even if you look at the 10-year yield, uh, that's normally a point above the Fed funds rate, so it should be at four and a half percent, basically cut that in half. And that's exactly where we are today. So again, uh, low interest rates are making uh, the economy helping that to grow and also making investments that much more attractive. Can I think of this in a simplified or maybe oversimplified way as uh, I mean, stock market valuations today are based uh, to a large extent on our expectations of future earnings, right? Sure. So uh, those future earnings are likely to be stronger uh, with lower inflation and weaker with higher inflation because they will be discounted by inflation in the future. Is that the right way to think of it? Well, sometimes uh, earnings are benefited by inflation, uh, especially consumer staples, Mm -hmm. your food retailers. Uh, They do better when they can actually raise the prices every so often, uh, maybe uh, cut the number of uh, ounces that they give you while raising the price so they end up improving their overall profit margins. So you don't want inflation to be too low because then actually you get close to the precipice of falling into disinflation, meaning inflation is shrinking, or deflation where actually prices go down. That's a very bad scenario that happened in the 1930s. People went from annual rents to monthly rents because the thought was, well, hey, I could probably get my apartment cheaper tomorrow. And that was a chronic problem in Japan, of course, for a long time. Exactly. Okay, so is there a uh, sort of a single metric that puts these two things together, which is uh, P.E. ratios or valuations on one hand and inflation so that um, you kind of know where you stand? Yes. I look at something called the rule of 20. Um, The reason is that if you look at the median combination of inflation and P.E. ratios going back to 1988 for operating earnings and then go back even further to the 1940s with gap earnings, the, uh, the median is around 20. So it's a very, very simple formula. 20 minus CPI times earnings. That's it. So 20 minus 1.7, or let's just make call the math eight, easier, 2, uh, is 18. And then right. you multiply it by the 12-month earnings number, which you can get on the Standard & Poor's website, spindices.com. Mm-hmm. And then it'll give you a good guesstimate. It's not an exact laser beam, but it's a good guesstimate as to where the market should be trading. Okay, so in real time today, does that mean you take uh, 20 minus about 2%, that's 18, times 23 which is the uh, P.E. ratio? Uh, no, it would be times the earnings itself. Oh, okay. So Sorry, that, that um, 20 minus 1.7, which is the year-over-year percent change in core CPI, and then times the, what is it, $145, which is the estimate for 2017 sure. earnings. Yeah, correct. That's, the, that's EPS for the S&P 500? That's, that's earnings for the 500, correct. Okay. So that gives you an idea that, as of today, based on today's earnings, we're about five 
to 7% overvalued. But if you make those estimates based on 2018 numbers, and what you're doing is you're plugging in the estimate right. for inflation for the end of 2018 combined with the earnings for the end of 2018, and the answer is that we're probably undervalued by 5 to 10%. So huh. today, we probably could experience what's called a pullback, a 5 to 10% decline, which would be fine, reset the dials and so forth. But then based on the estimates as they are today, we then could be up uh, 5% from where we are today by the end of 2018. That's if the 2018 estimates are more or less correct. Very good. I do a <laughs> lot of financial literacy volunteering. And what I tell the students is the right answer to most financial questions is that depends. Or I don't know. <laughs> well, I try not to say I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, people should probably say I don't know more often. But uh, at any rate, if you're an investment advisor, you have to act like you know. You have to you have to have a have a position. Um, so, uh, can people look up the rule of just find a chart for the rule of twenty over time? Well, I've published it, so I guess you can find it online. Uh, but it's not you can't find it as a subset of the S and P five hundred index or some some easy place like that. Um, I mean, you probably could do a, uh, a Yahoo search yep. uh, and then find out what is the definition of the rule of 20, but right. it's 20 minus CPI times earnings per share, um, and that's basically the answer. good example was back in uh, 2013, the uh, rule of 20 said the market should have closed at 1844. It closed at 1848. So mm -hmm. since we went over, we didn't get the washer and dryer. Uh, how often is the rule of 20 right? It's right uh, by giving you a good idea of where the market should be trading. It's not going to be exact. But if it basically says today, look, you know, yeah, we probably could experience a 5% decline, that means don't get overly worried and think we're going to be hitting a new bear market. Mm -hmm. uh, I had mentioned to you that bull markets don't die of old age. Right. They die of fright. They are most afraid of recession. What I have found is that there are four very good indicators to help you to figure out whether we are headed for recession. One is housing starts. Traditionally, since 1960, uh, housing starts have preceded uh, a recession uh, by being down an average of 25% year on year. The shallowest decline was only 10%, but that was before the shallowest recession. Yep. The deepest decline in housing starts was just before the deepest recession since, nine, since World War II. That was II. 2007? Exactly. So it's not really a question about construction. It's more a question of consumer confidence. Yeah. Who's going to buy a house if they worry that they're going to lose their job? Yeah. So I look to the University of Michigan's consumer sentiment data because I can get it for free on the yeah. web. So can everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, go to the, uh, the FRED. That's the yeah, St. Louis, Louis Fed website. Yeah. And you can get the University of Michigan data. And on a year-over-year -year basis, it's about a 9% decline before a recession hits. Um, and then follow that up with leading economic indicators, which unfortunately uh, you do have to pay for from the conference board. Yep. And then lastly, the uh, yield curve. What is the difference in yield between the 10-year note and the one-year bill? So housing starts, consumer confidence, mm -hmm. leading economic indicators, and the yield curve. All four of these right now are not pointing to recession, whereas... Are any of them? No. None of them. The only one that's in negative territory is housing starts, but by one-tenth of what the average is. At and there are some other issues there 
um, volume, uh, yeah, basically. Right. Yeah. So um, when you say uh, bull markets uh, die of fright, uh, can bull markets become afraid of themselves? I, uh, people have asked me that. Uh, could it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah. Because you have so many investors out there who are expecting the world to come to an end tonight, tune in tomorrow to see if it really did. Yeah. Well, I like to say that a boxer is rarely felled by the punch he expects. So mm -hmm. if we're all expecting the market to keel over because uh, inflation is too high, not inflation, but because P.E. ratios are too Value high. Ratios, yeah well, then that's probably not going to sink the market. It's usually a black swan event. Mm -hmm. When was the last time since 73 that the Saudis cut off oil to the U.S.? When was the last time right. since 87 that we had a computer glitch throw us down by 22% in a single day? When was the last time uh, since 2000 that we thought tech stocks were cheap because they were trading at 65 times trailing 12-month <laughs> right. earnings? Right. So right. usually it's some sort of an unanticipated event, which unfortunately are hard to anticipate. So, uh, you know, we have uh, financial advisors coming to Yahoo Finance all the time, uh, you know, talking on our shows. Many say they are rotating out of U.S. stocks into uh, uh, European or Asian stocks or select emerging market stocks. Um, their strategies get sophisticated. They're not just putting it all into an index fund or something like that. Uh, they, what they're, but their sort of underlying message is this is not a good time to be putting money into U.S. stocks, um, especially if maybe you're a first-timer. Um, maybe you have a little bit of cash. Maybe you, I mean, you might feel like you're the dumb money that's getting in at the very top of the market. Should people feel that way? Well, I think first off they should... Uh realize that if the U.S. sneezes, the rest of the world catches cold. Mm -hmm. If the U.S. falls into a bear market, it's probably going to drag the rest of the world with it. Back in 2007, people were saying, oh, the uh, emerging markets are decoupled. I'm not going to worry yeah. about them because if the U.S. goes into a bear market, the emerging markets will do just fine. Well, you know what? Only Hollywood starlets are decoupled. Uh, <laughs> and that, in fact, the emerging markets fell more than the S&P did yeah. in that uh, financial meltdown. Uh, I would agree, however, that international stocks look more attractive than U.S. stocks. One is the old adage of reversion to the mean, mm -hmm. that the MSCI EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Capital Inc.'s, the developed international benchmark, underperformed the S&P 500 seven of the last nine years. So it's just a matter of time before they will come back and have their day in the sun. Right. From P.E. ratio perspective, earnings growth perspective, dividend yield perspective, international stocks look a, a lot more attractive than domestic ones. And with the estimate that we're going to see a weakening U.S. dollar, that tends to boost your returns from overseas investments. So provided we don't fall into a bear market in the U.S., then I think better gains could be found overseas. Yeah. So that's, not, that's, just, that's just to say you might get a better return on some of these other assets, not that uh, U.S. stocks are inherently uh, being set up for some kind of uh, major correction, just better returns elsewhere. Right. If and if the U.S. does go into a recession and a bear market, then unfortunately it's going to drag the international yeah. with it. We've seen uh, some prominent analysts saying, look, I'm seeing similarities between valuations in the market today to 2007 or to 1999. Uh, those were times, obviously, when we did hit, hit peaks and we did have major corrections afterward. Is there any part of those types of analyses that you actually agree with? 
Well, yes, I agree that uh, the length of the bull market is fairly similar. Uh, the absolute P.E., meaning without looking at inflation, uh, looks fairly similar. Interest rates are very, very different, however. Uh, go back, go to the, the Fed's website, and you'll find out what the uh, the 10-year yield was going back in time. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that we were at 4 5 6% uh, on a 10-year note back in those other periods versus the 2% where we're hovering today. So that's a very different scenario. Also, um, you had other asset classes look relatively attractive back then. Where's the substitution? A lot of investors today, I think, sound like Richard Gere in the movie Officer and a Gentleman when he wailed, I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> and investors are saying, I really don't have anywhere else to go. And if I am starving for income, if I yeah. am a yield-oriented investor, I'm better off sticking with stocks because I get a similar income stream from those equities, but at the same time, I get growth potential. Right. Uh, so do you think that the bull market we're in now could eventually become the longest bull, bull market of modern times? I mean, it could. Uh, so what would, what would that take? You, you know the data better than I do. Well, it took, we were the most recent or the longest bull market since World War II uh, was almost 10 years, but not quite. And we are, what, um, eight so we in are a couple into, months? You know, uh, eight and a half March years? 9th was the eighth uh, birthday, so we are about six months into yep. this ninth. So we would have to go another. So we're about eight and a half years. We need another year and a half another, or so? Nine, another year to nine months. Uh, yeah, year to 18 months for us to be at a record length. Um, but the problem is that I think that uh, the tops of markets are harder to identify than bottoms of markets are. Usually bear markets uh, end with a capitulation sell-off, like a V-shaped drop of everything. Everybody just says, I yeah. want out, and everybody seems to do it all at the yeah. same time. Uh, whereas you don't have that with tops of bull markets. I do say that bull markets are like incandescent light bulbs. They tend to glow brightest just before they go out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had uh, Bernard Baruch, we had uh, Joseph Kennedy claim that they knew when the top occurred because their shoeshine person was giving them <laughs> stock market advice. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, uh, a lot of the newspaper kiosk owners were asking uh, people for recommendations on Wall Street back in 1999. We're not seeing that today. People are basically saying, when should I get out? Uh, or I am out. Um, and when do you think that the, the decline will actually hit? So I think that while we could end up seeing a pullback, a 5 to 10% decline, or even a shallow correction, uh, I think that because I don't see a, a, a recession on the horizon, that it might make for a better buying opportunity than a reason to bail out. So if we were to get to the longest ever bull market in modern times, that would occur some point uh, in early 2019, correct? Yes. So what do, what do you think are the odds? Would you be willing to put odds on how likely you think that is? I'm putting you on the spot, but so what? Um, <laughs> true. We'll better than, have to call better me back 50, 18 50? months from now to see we will. if I was right. We will. Um, you know, I think that that is a, a good possibility. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a 52% likelihood. <laughs> All right. So that's a, sort of a note of optimism, I guess, uh, is where we'll leave it. I guess so. I, I think the reason is you've, you've, uh, for the long term, the reason you're in the equities is because you want to uh, defer consumption. You want to be able to afford uh, that bottle of beverage 20 years from now, 30 years from now, um, because let's face it, even if you retire today, the actuarial tables say you've got another 15 to 20 years at least right. in retirement. Uh, and so 
if you just wait, uh, this most recent bear market got back to break even in only four years. Yeah. So if you don't have four years to wait, you shouldn't be in yeah. equities to begin with. That's a good uh, note of caution to end on. Sam Stovall, very interesting, and thank you for putting this into plain English. Very helpful for me and hopefully for a lot of others. Thank you so much for listening to the Yahoo Finance podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.